Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Tommy is about some books. One, two, one, two, three, four. And welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host Justin McElroy, and I'm Sydney McElroy. Uh, happy, happy uh, Thanksgiving, Sydney. Why, thank you, Justin. Ho ho ho! It, He's just around the corner. That's really, that's really it for Thanksgiving. For, for me? me, it's just a prelude to. For me, it don't get better than seeing the, that that jolly <laughs> that jolly old fella on the sleigh at the end of the oh at the Macy's store parade. Okay. that's when the season is here, folks. Did you say department store parade? Like we're not allowed to say Macy's? Yeah. <laughs> no, I was just trying to like I was trying to heighten the absurdity of Christmas season being rung in by a department uh-huh. store chain. Uh huh. By saying department store. Oh, okay. I guess it didn't work. I thought it was sort of like in Archie comics when they like have the names of celebrities, but they're off by like one letter. If you have to ask yourself if I am or am not referencing Archie Comics, you are usually going to be a lot safer going with the nay on that. But it, I mean, it's always possible. It'll be like Bruce Springstone. Okay, you're, you've kind of pivoted this into an opportunity to talk about Archies, which I, this is fine. I self I don't want to talk about Archies. Uh-huh. I mean, I do, but do. that's not not do. for this show. Uh, I want to talk about herpes. Okay, this is our this is our uh, our Thanksgiving special, huh? Yes. Herpes. Okay. Herpes simplex, herpes simplex virus, HSV. Okay. Why uh, herpes? Here's the thing. Uh, first of all, a lot of people want us to talk about herpes. Um, thank you to Kevin and Ransom and Christine and Bradley for suggesting something very easily searchable, HSV. I think a lot of other people have suggested cold sores, uh, but that's that's a lot. That would have been a, a whole episode of thanking everybody. And also to search cold sores in the email, it just was harder Anyway, so thank you everybody who's recommended this topic. Uh, I don't know why we haven't covered it. It's very, it's a very prevalent viral infection. And I don't know why we haven't gotten to it yet. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that there's some people think it's kind of a uh, yucky to talk about. There is, there's a lot of stigma when it comes to herpes. I was thinking about that episode of Friends where Joey does the bus ads and the subway ads mm-hmm. for getting tested for sexually transmitted infections, you know, as most do. If you are ever wondering whether or not I remember a specific Friends episode, the answer to that is usually going to be nay. Anyway, herpes viruses are incredibly common. HSV is so common that if you're an adult and you're listening to this podcast, you probably carry some type of HSV. Uh, I don't think I do, but you probably I do. Probably do. Apparently, we probably the majority of adults 
probably do. I say probably because we don't test people for it and I'll get into why. But herpes is horribly stigmatized. And this Thanksgiving, I want to give you the information to empower you to go spend this joyous time with your friends and family destigmatizing herpes. This is the Thanksgiving that you destigmatize herpes. That's right. You've waited long enough. Uh, herpes viruses are very common among animal species. It's interesting. Humans get two types. Oh, we're the lucky, lucky us. <laughs> most, most don't. Uh, generally speaking, when I'm talking about herpes, you're probably thinking of one of two types of infections because I'm sticking to HSV herpes simplex viruses. I'm not going to get into like shingles and zoster. I'm really sticking to the two things you would think of, which are either cold sores, so oral herpes, which generally are caused by HSV-1 and then genital herpes, which are generally caused by HSV-2, although either can cause either. Both can do both. Okay. But generally you see HSV-1 in the mouth and HSV-2 in the genitals, generally. Uh, humans got HSV-1 before we evolved into humans. Wow, really? Like they infected one He's of our chimpanzee predecessors, evolutionary predecessors. Uh, we got HSV-2, though, after we were already humans, like after we had evolved into at least to Homo erectus, at least. Okay. Uh, from like a primate predecessor. Still extremely old. But think about that for a second. Where is your mind going? There was a Homo erectus who got genital herpes from a Pleistocene hominin Paranthropus bozii, also known as Nutcracker Man. <laughs> you look so pleased with yourself right I now. I was. Nutcracker Man. It's because I guess he had these like big flat teeth that were good for cracking nuts. Uh-huh. But Nutcracker Man but gave... But he's so much more multi-level than that, so he's got a lot to <laughs> offer. Don't stop at the teeth, folks. That's as far as a lot of people say. He gave a Homo erectus genital herpes. Okay. And that's how it got into human... I sell it. Can like I our, say our, that? I our, celebrate that. I celebrate their right to have whatever kind of loving relationship they want to. Unlike my it, wife, who's ready to cast scorn. I'm not, because way. there it is quite possible that Homo erectus just ate Nutcracker Man, and that's how we got herpes from him. I'm sorry, Nutcracker Man, for all the disparaging things <laughs> that we've said and for eating you. <laughs> I'm, I, yeah. Sorry, my great grandfather ate Nutcracker I'd Man. I'd say it goes a little further back. My great great grandfather. A little further. Great great great. Uh, many people are infected with HSV, as I've said, and for the most part, it causes what really, like, from a purely medical perspective, and this is not getting into the stigma or the psychological effects of of getting a, a sexually transmitted infection. Just like purely medically speaking, the actual damage it does to the human body mm -hmm. is not, I mean, it's not that severe. Really? You get a cold sore, it goes away. Maybe another one comes back. You get some sores on your genitals, then they go away. So like, as far as like physical damage to the human body, it's a fairly benign infection, right? I, I have to take your word for it. Yes. A lot of people carry it around and don't know they have it. So in that way, it's very benign. You might be carrying herpes and have no clue. So for you, as a physical effect on your body, it's not, it's not the worst case scenario, right? Right. Now, it can do some things. I say this to differentiate it from some of the more serious things that this virus can do. It can cause things like encephalitis, like an inflammation of the brain, which is a, obviously a much bigger problem it can cause infections in newborns which can be very serious it can cause some infections in your eyes 
Um, you can get some other things on other parts of your body. There's one that I, I always like to talk about herpes gladiatorum. Gladiatorum. Have we I talked like about name. that before? It seems like we have. Maybe it's named, it's named for wrestlers. Oh, gladiatorum. Oh, okay. Got it's named it. for wrestling because it, it, it's also called wrestlers herpes or Matt herpes. <laughs> Or scrum pox, which is a horrible That's name. That's the worst word you've ever but, said. But you can get it on, you can get it other places on your trunk from like contact with wrestlers or, you know. Any wrestlers? Well, no, like, not any, like wrestlers who have herpes. Pretty much any wrestler that you wrestle not with. Not any wrestlers. Uh, there's also one called herpetic whitlow, which is on the fingers, just in case you're curious. Uh, the, like I said, the most common manifestations are the sores in your mouth or the sores on your genitals. And uh, some, and, the, and as far as the presentation, there's a huge variety. Some people carry it around and don't really know they have it because they just, either their outbreak, the first one was so minimal, they didn't even notice, or they got it, they didn't really know what it was, went away, never had another one. Whereas other people might have multiple, you know, instances of sores throughout their life. It just depends. It varies from person to person. Um, it is much more severe if you are in some way immunocompromised. Mm. If so, if your immune system cannot respond as most do to an infection, you could get a much more severe infection. It is an ancient disease. The word herpes comes from the Greek to creep because the sores tend to creep. And when we go back to like Hippocrates writing about herpes, it's important to note that he was talking about probably what we know as HSV. But he was also probably talking about shingles, zoster. He was also right. probably talking about chickenpox. He was also probably talking about a variety of other skin conditions, viral or non-viral, that just kind of look similar. Mm. So it's it's hard to differentiate if we look at ancient texts. Um, like everybody always likes to talk about Pliny the Elder had some wild ideas about shingles and zoster and about what would happen if the infection wrapped around your whole body and you would die and it would be terrible. And anyway... He was probably talking about a different thing. So it, it all looked the same. They use the same word herpes because it was a creeping in skin infection, but they weren't necessarily always discussing HSV. Okay. Uh, Roman Emperor Tiberius tried to stop the spread of herpes. He, he at least identified that somehow it was something that was communicable. Um, and specifically, he was probably focused on cold sores. Because those are, I mean, those are easily visible, right? Yeah, that was right. probably the reason they Hot were the most. Yeah, I mean, you can you could look at a potential uh, kissing partner and see cold sores. Whenever I'm on a first date, I always like to address them as a potential kissing partner. <laughs> I'm just saying, a potential kissing partner. No, it's a, it's a sexy way of saying it. I'm down. So he banned public kissing. Oh no! To try to stop stop the spread. I'm gonna move move out of this stupid country. Uh, there weren't a lot of, I mean, there were a lot of probably herbal type cures and things like that. I mean, it's important to remember cold sores then as now go away. Mm. They run their course, right? Mm. Like you get a cold sore, it hurts and it goes away and it might come back later, but it goes away on its own. So people probably put stuff on it in the meantime. Are they usually triggered by trauma? They can be stress or trauma or illness or things like that. Bring them out. It's like anytime I I'm, I bite my lip, I just know I'm going to get get one there. Mm -hmm. It always turns into one. It's the worst. And you're probably it is important to know there's there's the herpes virus induced ulcers that are you know that we're talking about. There's also aphthous ulcers in the mouth, which aren't necessarily the same thing, but can result just ulcers that can result from trauma, like biting the inside of your lip or your maybe tongue. it's just those though because I've or, never got one on the outside of my mouth. Yeah. Yeah, same here. So, huh. but uh, but also like I always know if I uh, 
eat some really acidic things, drink some mm. acidic things that'll mm. happen or when I'm sick. Um, but the, these same things can bring out herpes. Uh, they used to consider treating them with um, hot irons to oh, cauterize the oh, sores. Oh, that's brutal. Not a popular treatment, though, because, you know, they just go away. And that yeah, would hurt. I'm good. And they already hurt. And now that would hurt more. Um, a lot of people wrote about herpes. Everybody always likes to mention that Shakespeare wrote about herpes. Oh, what he's have. Uh, in Romeo and Juliet, when he talks about... Uh, or ladies' lips who straight on kisses dream, which off the angry mab with blisters plague, because their breaths with sweet meats tainted are. That's nice. Sid, you did a really good job of respecting the I am's and the, the pentameter in that. In Thank that you. Thank you. Great job. Anyway. the verse. I, I, I put that in there purely because everybody who likes to talk about the history of herpes seems to like to mention that Shakespeare wrote about it. So I don't know if that makes it cooler, trendier. It's like, listen, I am on trend. Shakespeare wrote about this. Uh, We figured out in the late 1800s and the early 1900s that herpes sores were distinct from all these other creeping infections Mm -hmm. and that they were caused by a virus and that it was infectious and eventually that there were two separate types. And I don't want to get into that too much because here's the truth. Uh, It wasn't that big a deal for a long time. We just, we had, listen. There, we are dying for so many <laughs> reasons. It wasn't that big a deal. And so certainly like one of the herbal cures I saw, uh, like tansy was a common thing to put on it. But no, I mean, like a lot of people weren't going for the hot irons because who cares? Everybody has them. They're super common. It goes away. We can live with it. That was really the, the, the idea. Um, in the realm, I was trying to find weird herpes cures, and there really aren't a lot that are easy to research because they were so often overlapped with other skin infections. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most common one I found was attributed to Dr. Oz. So I found the clip from Dr. Oz to Draws. look for a weird... Welcome back to the show, Draws, by yes. the way. What a treat. Always a pleasure to thank, have you here. Thank you for joining us. I wouldn't have believed this if I hadn't seen the clip myself. He was talking with two other... Uh, he was talking with two guests on the show, two... Um, women who have herpes and he had them both put on headbands that had like different triggers of herpes. So like getting back to like one said stress, one said illness and they formed a herpes train. Uh Uh-huh. And they made it like a choo-choo train around the stage. Folks, he's got an hour to fill (laughs) every day. You deal with that pressure and let me know how you handle it. Anyway, some stuff that he recommends, which is probably in line with a lot of the stuff throughout history that it's been recommended, is like seep a tea bag in hot water. Steep a tea bag, not seep, steep a tea bag in hot water, and then put it on there, and it'll dry it out. People always love to dry things out. I found that. That's always an alternative medicine thing. It'll dry it out. Okay, Okay, thanks. That doesn't, whatever. Uh, They say that the tannins will will do that. Lemon balm, eat foods rich in lysine. low in arginine <laughs> eat okay. yogurt okay um i looked into eat yogurt's pretty good advice for pretty much all sure the time. i mean eat yogurt like eat yogurt that's great but i i looked into some of these things by the way and as far as i can tell there was a study done once that suggested that a whole lot of lysine in your body can help like suppress the virus somewhat so what it can't are rich in lysine largely like meat and then things like seeds or nuts um, and there was there was like some evidence that if you could keep your lysine level in your body at a certain level, that perhaps in some people it might suppress the virus once you've already gotten it somewhat. 
but the evidence wasn't strong. And another study said it really doesn't work unless you also limit your arginine. And then it said, well, never mind. It doesn't work at all. So I don't know. Dr. Oz made a train to describe it. Thanks, Dr. Oz. You can watch that if you feel so inclined. For centuries, though, herpes was something we didn't really get too troubled over. Even as we started to really care about sexually transmitted infections, which you can really trace back to um, like the world wars, world war one, a lot of soldiers went away and then came back with what were called at the time, social diseases. How polite (laughs) social diseases. And that became, that kind of led to this public panic, like this idea that that was going to happen anytime you had sex and, at the time, let's be honest, not with your monogamous married partner yeah. was kind of the implication. And so there were all these sexually transmitted infection awareness campaigns. But even then, they weren't talking about herpes. The itch down there was not that big a deal. It was really just syphilis, gonorrhea. Those were the things, um, shankroid, those were the things people were really concerned about. It didn't become a problem until the 70s. What happened in the 70s? I'm going to tell you, Justin. But first, let's head to the billing department. I think I'd see him coming. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier then you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going to. Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool. Think of it as the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the Easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? 
pre-prepared. All I got at two minutes. I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. So Sid, uh, to hear you tell it, everybody was crazy about herpes. They love the stuff. And then around the 70s, that started to take a turn. Well, I didn't say everybody was crazy about it. It just wasn't. It was kind of one of those things like a lot of people got cold sores and people, a lot of people were probably getting, you know, sores on their genitals and they just weren't. I mean, whatever. They weren't talking about making a federal case out of it. Right. (laughs) People weren't seeking a lot of treatment for it is the truth. Um, (coughs) In the 70s, though, a few different things happened that changed that first uh, the first big deal drug to treat herpes was released. The first one that um, didn't have a lot of horrible side effects and was targeted at herpes at HSV. Uh, it was released by Burroughs Welcome Company, which I think is now GlaxoSmithKline, I believe. Uh, but Zovirax or Acyclovir, as you probably have heard it now. Zovirax. I'm here to cure your herpes. <laughs> That's what Your that's, earth harpies. I don't think they, I don't think the commercial was like that, but I wish it was. It'd be good. It was a good, it would have been a good commercial. But it was originally like the idea, because we had antibiotics, right? Like this is like by this time in history, we already have penicillin and all of the antibiotics that came thereafter. Well, quite a few of them by this point. Um, and we knew we could treat and cure bacterial infections. The next big landmark was can we treat and cure viral infections the way we do bacterial viruses are harder which is why as you know we don't have a lot of antivirals Mm -hmm. right i mean think about it when you come in and we say you got a virus we don't give you anything for it because we don't have anything that'll help with that and most of the time they're self-limited and it's not a big deal anyway well there are as i mentioned life-threatening manifestations of the herpes virus in certain patients under certain conditions and so we did need drugs to treat that But the idea as they introduced acyclovir among their marketing team was that that's not enough because those life threatening infections are not very common. Mm -hmm. And while that certainly is a good use for our drug, uh, we want to sell it to more people. We've put in all this time and effort and research and development to make this drug and we want to make a ton of money off of it. But most people just don't care enough about herpes to bother to treat it and certainly not to pay for a brand new antiviral medication. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and this is supported by the fact that as late as 1975, there was a study done psychological morbidity in a clinic for sexually transmitted disease. So this is I, I kind of mentioned earlier that from like a purely physical, like cellular destruction standpoint, most herpes is not that big not a deal. Big deal. But from a psychological standpoint now, we would say it's a it's a huge deal for a lot of patients. Well, as of 1975, when they did a study on the more the specific psychological effects of getting an STI, they don't even mention herpes. So it's like nobody because nobody cared. They didn't it wasn't even included in the study because the idea that people would be suffering a psychological 
you know, man, some some sort of illness from a herpes infection was just unheard of. Nobody would care. Why would we? So they needed a strategy strategy. How do we get people to care about herpes? Mm. So they launched a disease awareness campaign. Oh, you're oh, no, I should have seen this coming. They were emphasizing the importance of treating genital herpes specifically. So they, they didn't focus on cold sores because, I mean, for one, you can see that a lot of people have them. So it was hard to stigmatize cold sores. Right. Even if a lot of people have genital herpes, you're not seeing that on the street on it, a regular basis. It's hard basis. to make that a secret shame. Yes. Right. So they... So they started focusing on the idea. First of all, they started using terminology like um, incurable. This is incurable. You're going to get herpes having sex and it's never going to be cured. That And that, like now I'm, when I'm I say that. You'll carry around your entire life. And that was a radical idea to introduce into the public at the time because people really didn't feel that way about herpes. Um, and so all of a sudden they painted genital herpes as this huge deal that you had to manage because not only were you going to have it forever, you're going to give it to someday your poor blushing bride. <laughs> you're going to give her herpes and how bad will you feel? And so they, they really they they started to create this idea that herpes was something that had to be treated, had to be managed. You had to go see a doctor for instantly. And you had to deal with this disease burden the rest of your life. So they started organizing special teaching for doctors. I don't know if there was food. I don't know if there were golfing outings. I don't know if there were free box seats to sporting events. But my experience in the medical community... (laughs) Leads me to believe there probably was. There were at the very least nice cups and pens, right? So they started organizing all these teaching sessions for doctors. They organized support groups. This was a, there would, I mean, why would there have been a support group? For people with herpes? Yes. Support groups for people with herpes so that they could get to her. And they started using words like sufferers and victims. Uh, Around this same time, and this wasn't the doing of the pharmaceutical company. This was just the atmosphere in the U.S. in general. Conservatives began to use HSV as an example of the negative consequences of the sexual revolution. So, mm. listen, I know I know all you hippies think you're having such a good time with your free love and your sex. But guess what? Now y'all got herpes and it's <laughs> terrible. So in July of 1980, Time magazine published a, a cover article titled Herpes, the New Sexual Leprosy. <laughs> And they talked about things like there was one case where a man contracted herpes after he, quote, succumbed to the temptation of a local lady while he was abroad in Asia. They ran another cover story in 1982 calling herpes the new scarlet letter. (laughs) And they talked about herpes as altering sexual rights in America and and changing courtship patterns. and, And it is a numbing blow to the one night stand. This is the way they talked about completely. Yeah. I mean, this is I would say I am not a journalist. I would say this is biased journalism. Yeah. I I mean, it obviously is. uh, Well, it's not biased journalism. I think that there's a there is a real vulnerability. I used to cover health from time to time because we didn't have like a health reporter 
and where the newspapers are worked at. And there's real vulnerability in the press when you have a press that, and this is why it's so important to support your, your local press. Uh, when you don't have people who are well-educated about this sort of thing, then people will buy whatever line you feed them. If you're a doctor and you come to a reporter and say, Hey, this is a health thing that I know about and you don't pretty, you know, obviously you should be vetting that stuff, but you know, it's, it's easy to get roped in by, by something like that. I see that stuff all the time. I see, I see their uh, reports where doctors are being quoted and I know because I, I believe in science and evidence-based medicine that what they're saying is totally off the charts from what the majority of medical professionals believe that right. they're a doctor so they're getting quoted um but this this article painted herpes as the scourge of <coughs> basically people that that you didn't want to be people who cheated on their partners people who were swingers <gasps> swingers um that it was something that uh you could use to scare your husbands into faithfulness so women lecture your husbands about herpes. So they don't bring home herpes. So they to don't you. bring home herpes to you, and then and, and like a scare tactic. And ladies, if you get herpes, your husbands will leave you. Your first out, your first outbreak, your husbands are going to leave you. So don't have sex. Mm. Um, so they basically were using this as a way to say, listen, all that all that sex was fun and stuff, but we're done. It's the eighties. No more sex. Listen, there are other very good reasons why we should be telling you this, and we're going to find out about them here in like a few years. This is correct information we're giving you, not for the reasons we're telling you. Listen, I don't think no more sex is correct information. I think use proper protection is correct information. Okay, fair. Yes, fine. Are you? (laughs) I didn't didn't know you were an abstinence only fan. I'm not an abstinence only fan. I'm just saying that like there are uh, repercussions of like unprotected sex that were not being dealt with at this time period. That, no. Okay. Herpes is not the right reason to deal with it, but I'm not saying it was like the worst advice to like br- use. Protection. I, think, I think, I think that, well, I think we're, the problem is that it's wrapped into, this was not uh, doctors and medical professionals advocating for safe sex so that you could, you know, reduce the spread of sexually transmitted infections and prevent an unwanted pregnancy and all that. It was, uh, people who believed sex was bad, morally bad, I get it. I get it. lecturing America on their bad sex that they're having. That I think that's my problem. It's not a moral thing. It's a medical thing. Either way, in 1983, there was a made-for-TV movie called Intimate Agony about herpes. <laughs> Intimate Agony. Uh, there were articles published in Reader's Digest, not just Time and U.S. News. And they called again. They talked about this awful herpes wave that was sweeping the country. And it was the the repercussions of our of our promiscuity. We were reaping the benefits of our sexual harvest with okay. herpes. And the result of all this, which, by the way, there's a name for this mm-hmm. disease mongering. Oh, that's what this is called. And it is largely believed that the reason we have a stigma against herpes today is because of the disease mongering that you can somewhat lay at the foot of the pharmaceutical companies. They had to find a market for their drug, but also, I mean, prominent figures in the country at large. Yeah. uh, To make this stigma attach the diagnosis. And then as a result, patients began to seek treatment. Um, You know, though. 
as I mentioned, and I've been very careful to, to differentiate, while the physical effects of herpes for most patients are fairly benign, so, like a lot of people are carriers and don't even know they have it. So their physical effects are zero. The psychological effects of getting this diagnosis now can be a lot more devastating. Um, there was a study in the New England Journal that said uh, the psychological effects are far more severe than the physical consequences for many patients and shock, anger, guilt, low self-esteem, fear of transmitting the, fe- the infection, impaired sexual function um, can follow. You can lead to social withdrawal and isolation, and especially in young people because they're given this diagnosis and then told that it is incurable. So you have this the rest of your life and you yeah. have to tell every sexual partner and they're not going to like you because you have herpes now. Um, but, which I should be clear, you should always disclose your sexual history to a you know, potential partner yeah, before engaging in sexual intercourse or any other sexual behavior. But not so that they'll know what a dirty person you are. Right. So that you can both enter into an honest, open sexual relationship. By 2007, herpes was ranked the second most stigmatized STI after HIV. Um, It isn't part, by the way, this is a common question. Why isn't it part of a standard screen for sexually transmitted infections? Um, Because a lot of people believe, advocates believe that if we started screening everybody for herpes, when we screen them for things like gonorrhea or chlamydia or syphilis or HIV or hepatitis, that we could reduce the stigma because then we would see that it's estimated maybe as many as 90% of adults have HSV. Mm-hmm. And it's weird if you don't have it. Right. So if you, if we knew that everybody had it, then there wouldn't be a stigma. And so problem solved. It, the problem is it, there's several. One is very practical. It's expensive. Mm-hmm. It's an expensive test to run. And so to make it part of a routine screen for sexually transmitted infections would make those screens incredibly expensive. And the nice thing is there are a lot of places you can go and get those screens for free. And I don't, you know, I think most of us would agree. We don't want that to stop. We, you know, we want you to be able to get screened for free. Yeah. Um, so that's one problem is the test is so expensive. Uh, another problem is that Herpes, as I mentioned, from a lot of, you know, from a lot of doctors perspective is not is not the biggest deal in the world. And so it's hard to justify adding this incredibly expensive screen and then giving people this information that might be incredibly psychologically upsetting to them. Mm -hmm. If if they're I mean, they might never have another sore. You might tell somebody you have the herpes virus and they never the rest of their life have any physical manifestation about it. So there's that question. Now, of course they can transmit it possibly not everybody. Um, And I say not everybody because sometimes it's just hard to detect the herpes virus. So the test may be wrong. So we might tell you you don't have it and we're wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, it's kind of a moot point. Why test for it when we can just assume, are you an adult? Yeah, you probably have it. Don't worry about it. Pass the cranberry. So even if you have a positive result, what will we do about it? Nothing. For a lot of people, we, we wouldn't. Now, we do have ways to treat herpes, as I mentioned. There's either suppressive therapy, which is you take medicine every single day to try to prevent ever getting any sores, um, or you can take it just when, you know, sores show up. So if you get a cold sore, if you get some genital lesions, you can take some medication and it'll help them go away faster and reduce mm-hmm. the pain and everything. Um But the stigma is as bad as ever, maybe even getting worse, some studies have shown over time. So this Thanksgiving, what do we need people to do? We need you to reduce the stigma. Go to your family, 
tell them they all probably have herpes. Announce it. <laughs> I have an announcement to make. Deborah and I are very much in love. And also everyone in this room has herpes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. And it's fine with me. I have it too. It's fine. Well, I think I think that if we're going to, we've talked a lot about both sides. I think this has been interesting, Justin, because you have introduced a lot of the other side of the sexual revolution to this conversation. And I think that it's important that it's from both sides. If we're going to take good care of ourselves and each other, we have to be open and honest. And the best way to encourage us to be open and honest is to destigmatize the things we're being open and honest about so that there's no shame. It's just an infection. It's not a judgment on your moral character. Now, and that does not, that is not my way of saying, so like, why do you care so much? What's the big deal? Obviously you care because we do live in a society that shames people for getting sexually transmitted infections and that's wrong and it should stop, but it doesn't take away the fact that this is a big deal for people who are struggling with like that knowledge, but it shouldn't be. Make sure when you tweet this episode, make sure you include, you know what, just include Hi, my name is whatever. I probably have herpes and you should check out the new episode of Sawbones. <laughs> and you just link to it. So. Most adults have I'll start. Herpes. My name is Justin McElroy and I, I probably have herpes, statistically speaking. Statistically, I think HSV1 is more common than HSV2. I made a proclamation. And you I, my name is Sydney McElroy and I probably have herpes, statistically speaking. Yeah. So, that's good. There's a lot of couching <laughs> of it, but I celebrate that. Uh, folks, <laughs> we hope you have a, a great Thanksgiving holiday armed with this mission to destigmatize herpes. Uh, we have certainly enjoyed, uh, we, I want to say that we're thankful for you. Yes. Uh, we're also thankful for everybody who has picked up our book. It's uh, Sawbones. The Sawbones book is what it's called. And you can find that at uh, fine retailers everywhere. You know, Christmas is just around the corner, folks, and it makes... Just a darn great gift, this this book of ours. Uh, and you know, it's not just a physical book. It's also uh, it's also um, audiobook. Audiobook. Thank you, sister. And you that is available uh, uh, right now for you to uh, to go grab on Audible, former sponsor of ours, or uh, or anywhere the, that you. Well, the no, podcast probably just, probably just Audible. The podcast has become a book. Has become an audiobook. Audible. The snake has eaten itself. Yes. Please, uh, please check our book. And don't eat romaine lettuce. Don't eat romaine lettuce, apparently. Yeah. I feel like I should say that since I'm a physician. Yeah, don't and eat the romaine CDC lettuce. The CDC has warned you, uh, do not eat any romaine lettuce. So if anybody tries to serve and you that. this is the second time, right? Yes. So can we all agree? <laughs> can we all agree? That probably wraps it up for romaine lettuce. Nobody is so stoked Man. about Roma that they're like. I love romaine lettuce. Okay, there's one person <laughs> that stoked about romaine lettuce. Folks, I am thanks. so bummed, but don't eat it. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back with you next week. Uh, uh, maybe a little bit delayed because we're going to be on the road. We'll figure it out. We'll figure something out. Yeah. Uh, but until that time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. As always, don't drill a hole in your head. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.